Holy Spirit, thank you for sitting here with us. Thank you, God, that it's not a um, collaboration of two, but of many, Lord, because you're right with us, Lord. Father, I pray that you would be glorified and exalted and that your story, your message, your heart would be seen through this conversation, Lord, that it's who you are, Father, that would shine through. And just, I love how you love to tell the stories of your kids and how everybody's story is a little different. And God, I just pray that, um, yeah, your name would be known, that you would be made famous, that you would be lifted up in this region. And on our, on our lips, Lord, it'd be your name that is glorified. Jesus, thank you for the way that you walk with us. Thank you that even as I get to share pieces of my story, Lord, this is Emmanuel's story, and it's Bree's story, and it's, it's all of our stories, Lord, right now that we're walking in, Lord. And um, overall, it's really the story of your kingdom and your people, just like everything we read in Scripture is your story and your people. And Jesus, I pray that you would give us wisdom, discernment, Holy Spirit, that you would prompt us with thoughts and questions and stories to tell, and um, they would be fun, because you're fun, Lord. I just pray that you'd be glorified, and thank you for being right here with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are um, ever-present, and you're so kind and patient and a little bit ornery. I just love that about you, Lord. So thank you for your friendship in this, and thank you for all that you're moving in this moment and all that you're going to do through this podcast and all the things that you're, just the inspiration that you're sparking among creatives and believers all over the world, Lord. Just thank you for your kindness, God, and the opportunity to collaborate with you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. Well, welcome everybody to Watch Your Story. I'm your host, Emmanuel Mutui, and today I have an amazing guest. Now, we met last year during a conference, and when we met, my girl, now, well, at the time she was just my friend, we were tasked with, uh, I guess I was tasked, and she was helping me with a marketplace. <laughs> and it was always like a myth, we're going to have market, but nobody was telling me anything. And I was cool, I was chill. But my friend at the time, girl now, she was like, ah! <laughs> I was like, it's going to be fine. But then when we had this phone call with my guest today, all her worries was gone. <laughs> so at that moment, I knew at one point, I got to have this lady on my show because she completely is her, which was a huge help for me. I mean, because she was driving crazy. I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> but anyway, without further ado, Piper, how do you say your last name? Kepin. Kepin. Mm-hmm. Kepin. Kevin. Thanks for agreeing to be on my show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And this is the longest show I've ever, well, the long, farthest show I've ever had to drive to go and do. Because this was in Longmont, Colorado, which is an hour, almost two hours from where I am at. That's right, yeah. So it's good. I did it for a reason because she has an amazing story. <laughs> and so I'm not going to waste time because I know we have, we have a lot to catch up, we have a lot to hear because she, she does a lot of things. So we're just going to dive right into it and we're going to start from the beginning like we always do. Okay. Where are you from? I am from Fort Wayne, Indiana. I was born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Really? The daughter of two Assembly of God pastors oh. and um, was always a pastor's kid my whole life. Still, I'm a pastor's <laughs> kid. Um, and moved out to Colorado when I was 20. Yeah. How was it living mm-hmm. 
with two parents who were pastors? Because I only had one. Yeah. And I know how that was. How was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it was really beautiful in a lot of ways. We have, I come from a long line of worship leaders and pastors, and um, God's just been so faithful in the inheritance in that, just the heritage of that much, um, just being steeped in the Word, mm-hmm. steeped in faith, you know, being raised with really strong roots. Uh, foundations in the Word were so good. Mm-hmm. Assembly of God is very good at raising their young people to know the Word and to really train them to study the Word of God, which is really awesome. Um, and they also embrace the move of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is fantastic, super fun. And um, yeah, it was it was really good being raised with that kind of foundation. It was also really hard. Our, um, when I was about 10 years old, my dad be- went from being the associate pastor to being the senior pastor of our church. And in that same season, he was really um, pursuing the face of the Lord for a move of revival in our city and among our church. And we had a church that was, I don't know, somewhere between 200 and 300 people at the time. And he began praying and had this it was like the the uh, boiler room at the church. He would go in and he would have throw down worship and warfare prayer kind of moments in that space and would cry out for the Lord that he would come and interrupt our status quo with revival. And um, shortly after that season where he had become the senior pastor, the Holy Spirit responded to the cries of my dad and I believe a lot of the other pastors that had come before him as well. And... Um, just completely wrecked our church with an, an amazing like outpouring of the spirit and we grew really quickly as a church from the 300 to you know 500 at that point up to like 3,000 people at one point um, so the growth of the church in that season was off the charts and the move of the Holy Spirit was so intense and beautiful and that was really amazing to be raised in um, but to be the pastor of a church growing that fast requires a lot of effort and attention and time. And so being a pastor's kid was challenging. It was really challenging. There was a lot of, um, you know, having to learn, my parents having to learn to balance the needs of their ministry in their church with the needs of their children. And um, they, they eventually got it right and did a really good job. But there were a couple of years in there that were pretty, yeah. pretty difficult. How was... Now, you're not just a, a child of a pastor. You're a child of a pastor whose church is exploding. Yeah. How was that in relation to other kids? Were they cool? Like, what was that interaction? Sure. Um, there was a lot of pressure to be everybody's best friend. Okay. You know, there wasn't a lot of permission to um, to be to have one group of friends. You had to be everyone's best friend. And for, you know, a child that's like 10 to 15 was the years that that was really... Um, that the church was growing really drastically for me to be in that age where I'm still trying to figure out who I am, also trying to figure out who I am in Christ, you know, um, and trying to fit in socially among friends and learn my place in my family and in our church. And there was a lot of pressure. There were parents that would come to me and kind of corner me in the hallway and say, you have been leaving my daughter out. You haven't been a good friend. That's not a good leader. You need to you know, invite her into your friend group more or <laughs> you know, those kind of moments. So those moments were hard. That's where, that's where when your, your parents are the spotlight, your whole family becomes, you know, gets put in the spotlight. And so it did feel often like 
my whole life was on display. And if I didn't get something quite right, then it was, um, there were ramifications for me and for my parents because it would reflect poorly on them too. So there's definitely pressure. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not, I want to continue that, but I want to kind of, you fast forward. How yeah. did that, just the social aspect of growing like that, how yeah. did that impact your adult life? Yeah. Well, actually when I was like um, a teenager, I started walking away from the Lord because I didn't like the pressure. It felt like I was was boxed in, couldn't be myself, didn't have permission to just figure out who I was. So I actually walked away from the Lord until I was about 19. And then I came back into relationship with Jesus. Um, and when I did that, that really helped me to differentiate the church from the Father. And then once I had reestablished relationship with the Father, then he grew me back in love with the church, like grew love from in my heart back for the church. And um, now I, I love the bride, but it took a while. There was some healing that had to happen in those early 20s. And there was also now raising, I have four children of my own mm-hmm. and raising my own children. I'm very aware of the impact of what it feels like to be a child that is a pastor's kid raised with expectations that maybe aren't fair, you know, undue expectation. And so I try to be really sensitive to what it feels like to have the pressure of a parent who is well-known, who's leading a group of people, and not uh, project the expectations onto my children that maybe would have been projected on me as a kid. You know, try to be more sensitive to that and try to encourage them to embrace the gift of being rooted in family, being rooted in um, a community of believers, you know, embrace all of the beautiful people around them without the expectation that they wouldn't have their own journey, that they don't get to have their own process, because they totally do. So So in this period of 15 to 19, when you're away from the Lord, how was that your relationship with your parents at that time? It was hard. We did not get along very well that that, (laughs) that season. Uh, My dad and I tend to have really similar personalities. We're both very strong-willed and stubborn, and we would butt heads a lot in that season. And um, we had to work through some places where I felt like his expectations were unfair of me. Um, I moved into a pretty disrespectful attitude with my dad. So the Lord had to do a lot of repair in our relationship after that season of my life. Um, and my mom, she... She was a, she and I didn't butt heads quite as badly as my dad and I did, so she had a little bit more grace to pull back and her her one of her favorite phrases that now I use as a mom um, is when you when you're watching your children walking through hard things, be like Mary, pull back and just ponder in your heart and wait before the Lord. And she did. She was really faithful about that. She would pray and she would listen and she'd give me a safe space to be angry or to be sad or to be really honest and vulnerable and would try not to judge me in that space, you know. And even though I'm sure some of what I shared was really scary with her for her, she was really patient and kind and offered direction while um, not trying to write my story for me which was really great that's very good advice i like that mm-hmm. so because when my dad was a pastor yeah. when i was young I, I wanted to do ministry but then when i went my rough back i was like i don't want to do this yes <laughs> so you seem like you have like two 
parts yeah. of your teen and young life. Mm-hmm. The ten, well, about pre ten where you love everything. Yeah. Post ten where you're like, ah. yeah. So when you were pre ten, did you know what you wanted to do? I have always wanted to sing. Okay. So and was raised in a family where we're all musicians and we all sing all the time. My mom would. Um, Often we'd be in the car and she'd say, okay, guys, four-part harmony. And I'm one of four siblings and just happens to be two girls and two boys in our family. And so we'd all break into harmonies. And she taught us at a really young age how to sing properly. My mom is, um, she was a pastor, but she's also a music teacher. So she taught in colleges and in schools and um, was always teaching. She's just a born teacher. So she was always teaching us something I think I might have like a permanent mark in my back from where if I'd be standing just like making myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something and singing, she'd come up and poke me in the back so that I would straighten my back and sing properly, you know. So it was, it was kind of like being raised in a school of music, you know, but, um, but I loved it because she was really, it, it inspired that I knew from that young age that yeah. music was going to be a big part of my life. I just didn't know how exactly. So when you re- hit your rough patch, did that change or was that the same? No, I just pursued music in a different space. Okay. So I went to college to be a jazz vocalist, and I uh, toured a bit as a jazz vocalist. And so I pursued mm. music outside of the church, yes. music outside of the world of worship and mm-hmm. music ministries and oh. stuff like that. So you hit 19, you come back, the Lord is beginning this healing process. Yeah. And I guess at this time you decide to go to college to do jazz. Yes. And yeah. it's not, it's not a, in the church music. Right. What made you come back? So um, shortly after 2011 happened, the, um, and I don't know that it was because of 2011, but it was just after 2011. I was sitting in church. I had just ended a relationship with a young man that I thought I was going to marry. How old were you? I was 19 at this time. I had been in this relationship that I really enjoyed this guy, and he was sweet to me and, you know, really kind, um, which had not been my experience in past relationships. So it felt like, oh, finally I'm in a healthy relationship. This is great. I really like this guy. He really likes me. Um, We had talked about where this might go, and I... When we were discussing our future, I just could not see myself living the life that he dreamed or imagined. Um, and I knew he was, he was an Orthodox Catholic, and I knew that I wanted to live my life in a relationship with God where the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit were embraced and his specific expression of his Catholic uh, foundation did not embrace the Holy Spirit. And here I was not living for the Lord, but also deciding I can't marry this person because of the Lord. And that made me angry. Actually, I ended up going to my dad's, uh, or to the church that my dad was pastoring. And I went up to this prayer room that they had on their upper level. And I started pacing around the room and was kind of shaking my fist at God, which is like, I just want you to leave me alone. I know that I have generations of grandmothers and great-grandmothers and my parents that have been praying that you would not let me loose, but I have free will, so this isn't fair. <laughs> you know, it was just kind of shaking my fist at God. And at one point, as I was walking, I was walking in a circle in a specific direction, and at one point, I just had... I want to call it an open vision. I don't actually know. Nobody else was in the room with me. 
but it was so real. What I saw in front of me was so real that either I saw it with my eyes or my mind's eye was, it was so clear in my spirit that my mind's eye um, couldn't, you know, focus on anything else. So I had this moment where I'm walking around in the circle and I have this picture and the picture that was before me was me standing on a racetrack and I was at the starting line and I looked next to me and Jesus was right over my shoulder and I started running as fast and as hard as I could. And as I was running, I had the thought, I must have come such a long distance by now because I was aware of like how long and how hard I had been running. And I glanced back over my shoulder and Jesus was still right there. And I just felt very clearly, and I didn't hear this with my ears, but I did hear this in my spirit. I felt very clearly that the Lord said, you can run as fast and as hard as you want, but I will always be here the second you turn. And I had known that. I had been raised in the church. I had parents that were pastors. That wasn't a new concept, but it was such a personal invitation, the way that he met me in my anger, in my frustration, that I didn't know what else to do. So I just stopped. And I literally stopped as I was pacing and turned around. And I had then the picture changed to a picture of Jesus where he was actually proposing to me even though I was laying down this relationship I thought was moving toward marriage, here Jesus was offering me a proposal to be his bride. And he just said, I, I will always be here for you, you know, and I'm waiting for you. And when you're ready, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And then I, of course, just broke down into tears and gave my heart back to the Lord right in that moment. So it was really beautiful, yeah. actually, because I was alone. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in a church service. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because I was having some existential crisis, I was just mad at God and (laughs) telling him so. And he met me in my anger and actually invited me back. And that, I think, is, um, it broke down all of the lies that I had been raised with believing, not because of my parents, but because of being a pastor's kid, believing that I had to live up to some kind of standard to be, worthy or desirable for the Lord, you know, and he just met me in all of my mess and my anger and mm-hmm. really um, just rewrote my story for me at that point. Wow. So this is around 1920, right? <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> oh, it's 2011, my bad. 19. <laughs> yes, 19 or 20 years old. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so this is... <laughs> I'm never going to know that. <laughs> 1920. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> My toys were made of wood. <laughs> yeah. I had this little top. I was spinning. <laughs> so, uh, actually, I might keep that in. Uh, so this experience happens. Obviously, you break it off with this guy. Yes. Do you? So what now? What is your drive? Like, what are you trying to go for now in your life? What's your goal? What's your purpose? Yeah. So at the time I was um, in college and I was, my, my major was jazz vocals, but I had a double major as also a music therapist and was pursuing that. Um, but when I gave my heart back to the Lord and started pursuing relationship, relationship with him again, it was like all of the foundation that I had had caught up to me. And all of the experiences I had had with the Lord before I turned 15, you know, um, came back to life. And my growth was exponential because I had so much foundation to build off of. And 
the hunger I had to be in the presence of the Lord was so real, so like permeating, all consuming really. And I would go and just try to find spaces to go worship all the time. And during that season, I just was like, what am I doing? I, I really believe in music therapy. I think it's incredible. I think it's an amazing gift. Um, and I really believe in, you know, I loved singing and loved jazz, but I knew that what my heart really longed for was the presence of the Lord and inviting and creating atmosphere for people to come and encounter the presence of the Lord. And um, I had the, the thing that kind of sealed the deal for me was the next course that I was going to take in my music therapy journey really was going to focus in a little bit on how to manipulate emotional places with music. It was tapping into some emotional centers for people who maybe have locked away brokenness or whatever, have memories that they can't access, that kind of thing. You can actually unlock some of those things through music. And that was going to be the next course that I had. And I just knew I didn't want to have a class that taught me how to manipulate someone's emotional state with music. I didn't want that in my tool belt as a worship leader. And I knew I had been called to lead worship. And so I just decided, okay, I can't, I can't keep on this road because this is taking me somewhere that's not exactly where I feel like I'm called to or where I want to be. And um, then I got a call from a good friend who invited me to come out and do a discipleship program in Colorado as a worship student, worship ministry student. And it, I just knew that that was the Lord opening that door. What so school was this? Or? It was called Ninth Hour World Discipleship. Mm-hmm. And it was at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado, which is where we are right now. And <laughs> right here right. in this building. And um, yeah, it was it was an internship really similar to YWAM. Okay. Um, but you would come and spend 10 months being just saturated in the Word and teaching and doing some Bible classes and that kind of thing. And then also having an area of focus and for me that was worship ministry so in this uh when you came to this school Mm -hmm. tell me two top things that happened that just either pushed you forward in your calling Mm -hmm. or it just completely opened your eyes to another side of your calling that you didn't know yeah well um the funny part about it is that i actually came and i did join the worship team's at uh, Vine Life, but the worship internship part of it actually fell apart within the first like two weeks. (laughs) Um, Not because it wasn't a possibility, just because the way the school was structured, it didn't really lend to it as well. Um, So I ended up becoming um, an intern who I would go out on the streets and we would do street ministry among the homeless and street ministry with on Pearl Street in Boulder, which is a place where you'll get so many eclectic you know personalities and religions there's all sorts of spirituality in boulder um and we would go down there and spend time with people and just talk with them and share stories and hear their hearts and pray for people and you know see people give their lives to the lord and miracles happen people getting healed and prophetic words and all these really beautiful things coming out um and that really opened that was one of the pieces that really opened up my heart because I had been a church kid raised 
in four walls of a church and we would go out and be sent out to like love on people and go on mission trips and things. But in Fort Wayne, Indiana, you don't have the same no. open spirituality that you no. have when you're in Boulder. And I would go out into the streets and, you know, you'd sit down with somebody and they would talk to you about how they just had, you know, the greatest drum circle of their life and they believe Jesus and, you know, Allah were both sitting on either side of them, you know, or whatever. Like they just have this openness to experience whatever spiritual experience you have to offer them. Mm -hmm. And it really um, began to open my eyes to the fact that the thing that really does set us apart when we start pursuing Jesus and when we start sharing our story with people and sharing the gospel with people is if it's not marked by the presence of the Lord, it's only another good story for people to add into their already library of spirituality. There are a lot of people that were like, oh yeah, I totally have moments where I'm hanging out with Buddha and Jesus and we just have so much fun together and you know, it's yeah, it's right. one of those like, okay, well, mm-hmm. or they'd say, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus and of, and then they'd list, you know, several other um, religions and gods that they worship. And mm-hmm. um, the thing that always separates it out is the presence. It has to be about the personal, intimate presence of God in our life, you know. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just another faith to add in, yeah. another thought to have, another person to admire. You mm-hmm. know, it's not your savior yeah so those experiences mm-hmm. did they because the, the, the two questions were yeah uh that changed your calling yeah. or yeah. boosted how yeah that... that really um i think it defined my calling that uh-huh. my calling wasn't just to be in a church setting where i lead songs of worship and the church sings with me mm-hmm. you know but to pursue the expression of the presence of the Lord, the tangible presence of the Lord among a people and to allow him to shape what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Because it was just as much leading worship, sitting with someone and sharing Mm -hmm. relationship with them and hearing their story and then sharing my story with them and inviting them into a space Mm -hmm. where they could encounter the Lord for themselves as it was to come back on Sunday and then lead from the stage and everybody is singing together. You know, it redefined worship for me. Wow, that's amazing. So this internship, how long was it again? It was 10 months. 10 months. And then I became the um, the women's director the following year. Oh. And um, was that something that you wanted to do or it just kind of happened, the opportunity came up and you were like, sure. Yeah, it was, uh, what I wanted actually was to come out here for 10 months, do the school, and then to go back to Fort Wayne, Indiana, and start that same kind of school oh, yeah. in our church at home. Yeah. And, you know, here I am 20 years later, and I'm still here. <laughs> so clearly that didn't happen. Uh, still trying to go back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I blame my husband because he was the men's director of ah. Ninth Hour World Discipleship. In fact, it was a little scandalous because he was the director of the internship when I was the intern. And we weren't supposed to date or anything. And we didn't. We did not. We followed the rules. We did not date <laughs> until after the first year was over. <laughs> so how did we you... We fell in love in Africa, actually. So you fell in love when you're still a student. Yes. How was the, what's the story? Because I know there's a story. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's probably longer than your podcast. Um, <laughs> we'll say... Uh, so the, the abbreviated yes. version is when I met Graham, he... Um, He's just very quiet. He's very opposite of me. He's very quiet, not really like, yes, very steady. 
very, you know, he's that steadfast person that you turn to when you need someone that's reliable, dependable, and wise. You know, that's Graham. Um, and I'm the one that if you need some fiery, passionate, you know, something, that's that's more likely. <laughs> that suits me better. So when we first met, I didn't, uh, I didn't actually really like him very much because he was so quiet that I thought he was just kind of being a jerk. I didn't realize it was just his personality. Um, and we slowly became friends and built just kind of a playful friendship, not flirtatious or anything. Didn't really think at all of him in that way until um, about March or April. The school started in September, and then in March or April of the of uh, the end of that season we started just having a closer friendship and um, it wasn't still flirtatious or anything like that, but apparently that's where he started having feelings for me. I still was oblivious. I had had so much wounding from past relationships that I was very um, closed off to the idea um, of being in a relationship again. So I was great to just keep plodding ahead and it's going to be me and Jesus and I'll be a nun for Jesus the rest of my life. That was kind of my, (laughs) that was my thought. (laughs) And then these men, these godly men, they come and ruin everything for you. (laughs) Uh, Right there. Yes. That's what she thought. (laughs) Yeah. I was totally content. I'll just be the bride of Christ. That's all I need. And then, um, we went on a mission. Our, at the end of our year, we had a five-week mission trip to Africa where we toured around Tanzania, Africa, and um, hosted spaces of ministry and supported the local churches there. And It was a really sweet time. But on that trip, there was a moment where I was holding, we were doing a kids' crusade, and I was holding this box of like um, children's puppets and things like that that we were going to use. And we were in the back of this taxi where the windows were all down. And my hair is naturally very, very curly. So in Africa, it's out of control. And I had a hair that was in front of my face. And Graham just reached up and tucked it behind my ear. And it was like something in me just broke open. And he won my heart from that moment on. (laughs) Yeah, it was just a little like one of these things. And I was just like, oh, what just happened? You know? And then I, from that point until like a year later, ran as hard as I could to not be in relationship with Graham because I was terrified of, of it. But hmm. that's that's the whole other side wow. of the story. <laughs> that's amazing. So Clearly he won in the end. Yes. <laughs> we always win. <laughs> so anyway, so this relationship starts and it's amazing. Obviously yes. you have four kids and yes. this is 20 years later. Yes. And you're still together. Yes. And so... You come back from this mission trip, yeah. and you offer this position. Mm-hmm. Why did you accept it? Because up until this point, you'd be talking about worship, worship, worship. Yeah. Um, only because the Holy Spirit said, you need to do this. Honestly. Good because enough. I didn't... I mean, I love young people, and I love discipleship. That is a huge part of my heart, is um, not just being a worship leader, but raising up believers, raising up disciples. Um, I mean, it's part of all of our call, right? Mm -hmm. So I spent some time with the Lord that summer telling him no all summer long, that I wasn't going to go back, that this scary guy, Graham, was he just needed to stay in Boulder, and I was going to stay in Indiana, and we could be good. And the Holy Spirit kept saying, I have something for you. You have to go back. You have to go back. So I eventually decided, okay, I'll go back. I'll do a year of this. And I'll just, you know, have some clear boundaries with this guy. 
And I did come back and learned a lot leading. Um, we had a group of, um, we had two years that I was the women's leader, and there was just, just this really beautiful group of students that we had. And um, I also did a young adult ministry that we would have these evenings where we would come together and we would just have open-ended worship, you know, sit around in the family room, you know, open-ended worship kind of times. And it was just powerful, powerful. And we'd go till all hours of the night just worshiping together and praying together. And so the next couple of years, the Lord just really solidified, like, I have something for you in your story that has to take place here in Boulder. And during that time, Graham and I began a relationship. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. So you take over women's director. Uh You have a boyfriend now. Yeah. So everything is (laughs) kind of beginning to fall into place. Yes. When? Because I met you as an event coordinator. Yeah. I don't, I mean, obviously you're a worship leader because you mentioned it. Mm -hmm. But that's right now, you know, it seems, takes up most of your time. Yes. When did that passion or business or whatever you want to call it begin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that I had always really loved gathering people together for worship or coming into places where people were gathered together for worship. I remember when I was young, my mom would take me to um, worship together conferences and, you know, all of these conferences when I was a kid and would love them. I would just absolutely love seeing how God could inspire people and send them out, you know. And like I said, music had always been a part of my story. Um, I continued, even as the worship or the women's director, I was also still leading worship in the church. So I was, that was always still a, a piece. Um, and then we started this thing called Resound Conference. And that's really when the event coordinator in me like began to realize there was something about facilitating a gathering to create, to host a space for the presence of the Lord to encounter people. The way I like to see it is um, like a greenhouse. You create the space, you, you know, you create the atmosphere, but God does all the growth. He's the one that grows the seed. He's the one that identifies the plants. He's the one that, you know, he's, he's the one that takes care of what is to grow in that space, but we get to cultivate a space like a greenhouse and say, come in and we're going to hold a space for you for optimal growth, but it's between you and the Lord what grows out of you here, you know? Um, and I just, I love doing that. And so when we did Resound the first year, it was real small. It was just inviting local, it was our worship team just decided to invite other local worship teams together to worship together, pray together, and learn a few things together. And we ended up doing Resound Conference, and it grew into something where we were bringing in all sorts of people from all over the nation, all over the world, really. Um, and we would have these, you know, 500 to 700 people coming into the building and, and just creatives, really speaking to the heart of the creatives. Like, there is something in you that the world needs, and you have to learn to cultivate it and um, how to nurture that and how to be a person who is deeply rooted in your own discipleship so that what grows out of you in your creative expressions is something that the world needs and meets the need of the world. So um, Resound Conference started, um, I believe, in 2008. And then we did a Resound Conference every year after that and um, until COVID. <laughs> and then we yeah. took a couple years off then. But it was actually the year before COVID that we took a couple years off. But mm-hmm. yeah. So... 
that yeah, I guess that's when the passion started. Oh, you I guess you realized too. you yes. had it. Yeah. What made you turn that into a business now? Actually, right? Yeah. Uh, I have no. Really? Words. Yeah. It was. It wasn't. It was really. Um, we would host these spaces, and people would come, and they would receive so much from the Lord that then they say, well, can you help us do this in our area? Can you come alongside of us? And when you're hosting spaces, especially when you grow from something really small to something that's got, you know, has a, it's a three-day conference with 500 people or whatever, you learn a lot, a lot, a lot along the way. Um, And we would pull, you know, people would come in and say, we love this, but we don't know how to do this. Can you help us? And so I would kind of coach people on, well, yeah, here's, here's some things you need to think about, you know, here's your how you reach out to volunteers. This is how you care for the volunteer and for the artist and for, you know, um, really being holistic in, in our understanding. And it a part of it is I'm just wired that way. I love people and I want every person I interact with to feel seen and known. And so there's some, there's just some, I believe, spiritual gifting in the mix of it. Um, but it wasn't, I didn't pursue becoming an event coordinator. It was more people have ex, have an experience and then would come to us and say, how do you do this? And in um, 2017, well, I guess in 2016, a really good friend of mine who was a part of the Resound Conference um, team, core team, he said, Piper, I've had this dream in my heart for the last eight years and I really want to pull it off but I really want you to work with me on it because our gifting mix worked well together and he his name's John Fitch and super sweet guy and just he had this vision this dream to bring uh, Jesus culture to Red Rocks Amphitheater and host a space of worship you know, not just a concert, but a night of worship where we could fill the skies of above Red Rocks with worship and adoration of Jesus. And neither of us had ever done anything at that scale before, but he just said, I just feel like we're supposed to do this and I'm not going to do it if you're not on my team. So I said, I'm in. So we did it and um, had worship on the rocks in 2017. And then two years later, did it again in 2019 and just had an incredible time it was so fun the first year we sold out the second year we didn't sell out but almost but filled the amphitheater and it was just beautiful listening to the sound of worship you know be declared over Denver you can stand up at Red Rocks Amphitheater and look out over Denver and you know to know that you too and all you know all these big name artists have been in this place and there's been a song lifted up for them but how much more worthy is Jesus to have a song lifted up in, in a natural amphitheater that God created? You know, like, let's use creation to declare the praise of the Lord back to him. And so we hosted that space. And once we had done that, that um, a lot of people then came out of the woodwork going, we want to host more worship spaces. And you guys just pulled off Red Rocks. Can you help us pull off something in our space? So I've been getting more and more connections that yeah. way as well where people will uh search me out because of that affiliation as well and because i know last was it last year we were talking it has to be last year because this year yes. just started. <laughs> uh you're saying that now you you're going to turn into a business yeah i don't have a name for it or anything okay. yet but i have been doing i have been um 
doing some things where people are hiring me to do mm-hmm. worship events. I am not an event coordinator um, for anything else. I don't, I've had people ask about other uh, opportunities, but I really feel like the Lord has told me to stay in my lane, to continue to create spaces, work, gatherings that will bring people into worship. Um, so I don't do like weddings or, yeah. you know, festivals or any of those kinds of things. <laughs> unless they're worshiping at the festival. <laughs> yes, unless it's a worship-focused event, unless mm-hmm. it is to gather people to come into a space of worship with the Lord. I, I'm not really hosting a lot of other kind of events. But, yeah, I'm yeah. several months out of the year right now. I have wow. an event that I'm hosting. Because mm-hmm. when we were texting last year, you were doing and planning an event for this year. Yes. So this is like a full-time. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm a my job full-time is mm-hmm. the worship and arts pastor at Vine Life Church. Mm-hmm. But because our team is incredible and yeah. believes in the dreams of our staff, they've blessed me to also build this business mm-hmm. on the side where I'm yeah. where people can hire me to come and mm-hmm. create or coordinate their event. So, uh Right again when we were talking last year, mm-hmm. uh, you had you're telling me how a group of you worship pastors have a school and yeah. how you go around and I don't know if you see, I can't remember the details now, mm-hmm. but could you share? Because I thought that was very cool. Yeah, so we have Colorado School of Worship, mm-hmm. and uh, currently that is Marcus Meyer out of the Rock Church and Blake Bush with One Hope Colorado, and myself, and we have. Uh, three locations. We have one in north, uh, northern Colorado, up in the Fort Collins area. We have one here in Boulder, here at Vine Life, and then one in Castle Rock, so the Colorado uh, Springs, Castle Rock kind of area, uh, which is the Rock Church. And um, we do, basically, we'll do like 12 weeks of classes where we teach theology and really get into what is worship and why do we worship and what's actually happening when we worship. What does the Bible say worship is and why does it matter? Um, I think there are a lot of worship leaders that they don't actually know what they're doing. You know, they think that they, they have good thoughts about it. Yes. But if you were to ask them like, what is the theological basis for worship? I don't know that everybody knows how to answer that question. Mm -hmm. I know I didn't when I first started leading worship. And I think it's really important that if you're going to be a worship leader, you know why you're doing what you do and what's actually happening when we're worshiping. How, how is that, you know, why does it matter? So we teach that level. And then we also go into an, for the first hour of class, then we do some community check-ins. How are things going? Who led worship this week? You know, what experiences do you have? What questions do you have? And kind of troubleshoot some of that kind of stuff. And um, just build some relationships among musicians and worship leaders in the area. And then we do an hour of practical training. So that can be anywhere from how do you use ProPresenter, <laughs> you know, to yeah. what is an XLR cable and why is that different than an instrument cable and what is the purpose of each, you know, to how do you engage in prophetic song and let's practice prophetic song or how, you know, having our teams, will put them in teams where they will lead worship and then we will coach them along the way with like, you know, you were transitioning from the chorus to the bridge there. You need to make sure you signal to your band, you know, and teaching them how to communicate as a worship mm-hmm. te- worship leader. And yes. so really practical mm-hmm. and also really foundational teaching. Yeah. And we just try to support, mostly it's local churches, 
um, send in their students or their up-and-coming worship leaders, and they just get some foundational teaching. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's really fun. Well, because I'm a new worship person these Uh days. (laughs) And just being on a worship team, because I didn't think much to worship. I thought you'd just go up there and sing. (laughs) But then the past year, (laughs) since like I've been surrounded by worship people, my girl is an amazing Uh worship leader Uh that she is. She is. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, anyway... That's that's really cool. I just wanted you, you to highlight that because yeah. when you were telling me, I was like, it's, it was in the middle of me being a staff in this worship academy. Yes. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so much, yeah. which is good. Like, yeah. being good at something takes time. Yeah. So yeah. as we wrap it up here, I want to wrap up in style just mm-hmm. because, you know, I got a class okay. later here. <laughs> I want you to name one thing. I guess I just won't do, I have three questions. I'll just do one at a time. Yeah. One thing that in your 20 years maybe more of worship leading mm-hmm. what's the one moment you are on stage you're leading worship and you're just like i don't want to leave this moment this is so yeah yeah, yeah. it is always the moment when i stop singing but the room doesn't because then you know you've done your job mm-hmm. you know that the whole purpose of me being on this stage is to help people turn their hearts toward the lord and connect with him and to bring the song together to him and they don't need me anymore And that's actually really beautiful. It can be threatening if you get your identity wrapped into worship leading, but as long as that's separated out in a healthy way, (laughs) it's actually my favorite moment is when we stop singing as the worship team, but the room is compelled because they are eyes fixed, you know, gaze fixed on the face of Jesus and they can't help but keep singing. Mm -hmm. And you know, you've done your job. That's, that's always my favorite space. So another question. Now that event coordinating, worship leading, and kind of teaching yeah. in your school, mm-hmm. what's the one, I don't know how to ask this without sounding a little weird, what's the one that <laughs> scratches your itch the most? Got it. Ooh, that's hard. That's hard to, <laughs> that's a hard one. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think that they, they each... They each meet a different part of who I am. Mm -hmm. So teaching and raising up disciples is so rewarding to watch people thrive, you know, and find their own passion and their own calling. And there's just nothing quite like that reward, watching somebody like just take off, you know, and knowing like, oh, I got to help them find their wings, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But event coordination for me whether it's somebody coming in and saying, hey, I was just volunteering in the registration booth, but that conversation that we had, when you stopped to have a conversation with me that one minute, it just really met something in my heart. Or whether it's an artist saying, I feel so at home among the people here because you love us so well. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, any of those spaces where people, for me, event coordination, like the, the win is when the people no matter what part they play in the event, feel seen, known, and loved. So when that happens, it just, it lights me up. Because again, it feels like, yeah, I just did my job. Because my job wasn't to pull off a great gathering, although that happens, Mm -hmm. and that's wonderful when that happens. Mm -hmm. But my job was to love someone really well as we work together to pull off a really great gathering, you know. So... I was going to ask you a third question, but then as you're speaking, the Lord was like, have you pray mm. for the next generation of worship 
leaders. Yeah, yeah. That hopefully a lot of them are watching this show. Yes, yeah. <laughs> or whenever yeah. they watch it 10 years from now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So could you go ahead? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Father, you are worthy. Lord, from the beginning of time, worship is what we were created for. It's what we were destined for. Lord, it's what, it's what we had, that unhindered fellowship, adoration, alignment with you that was moving so freely in the garden. It was such a beautiful space with you, Lord. And ever since the fall of man, that's been your desire. That's been your mission. You are God on mission after the hearts of your people to restore unviolated worship. And God, I just thank you that in all of eternity, worship is what's going to remain. When this whole world passes away, worship will remain. So Jesus, I do ask that over everyone that is going to rise up into a space of worship leading, whether it's on an instrument or vocally, or even if it's leading worship in um, untraditional ways, Lord, I pray that you would speak to their heart even now that this is exactly what they were created for. This is exactly what they've been called to because we were all made for worship. It is the identity and destiny of who we are as your children is unhindered relationship with you. And Lord, I just ask that every space of worship would flow first, first from the friendship with you, from the sonship, the knowing you as father and knowing we're your loved children. I pray that every moment that we find ourselves on a stage or we're sitting in our rooms alone, singing our, singing a song before you, I pray every moment would be filled with gazing on your face, sitting at your feet like Mary did, and just knowing that the first thing, the most important thing, the only thing that really matters is the relationship with you. God, I pray that that would spark innovation, that that is where all of the imagination, all the creativity, all of the passion, all of the drive, all of it would be, all the motivation, all of it would come first from knowing you and knowing who we are in you. And Lord, I pray that you just continue to pour out your spirit. That's your promise, that you'll pour out your spirit in greater and greater measure. Lord, I pray that you'd pour out your spirit over every person that listens to this. I pray that they would be inspired by you, that they'd fall in love with you again and again, Lord, and that they would learn how to follow the wind of the spirit, to hear your voice and move with it and not be afraid because you are good and you waste nothing. Even our failures are not wasted with you. So I just thank you, God, for the safety to chase after the things that you call us into. And I pray that you just continue to inspire us all to gaze on your face, sit at your feet, and chase after the wind of your spirit. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. This was one of the best and easiest interviews I've done. Oh, good. It was really fun. So remember, (laughs) we all have a story. What's your story? Goodbye.